according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. As always, join me once again in the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 2, we concluded Leviticus this morning, so we have moved on now to the book of Numbers. We spent uh, last hour in uh, Leviticus 27 and Numbers chapter 1, and we saw the census that was taken, was usually thought of as a census, what I'm calling a military muster. And the military muster, which organizes the soldiers of Israel into their uh, battalions, into their companies, uh, all based upon their tribes and the military organization that is happening there. We're going to build on that here this hour as we move on into chapter 2, and we're going to see that when this uh, army is not on the march, this army is actually in camp, and uh, the uh, order of camp and the order of march are very important for their for their wilderness wanderings. So we'll pick up where we left off last hour. This is day number 60 in the Through the Bible calendar. Uh, we're going to cover Numbers chapter 2 and 3 in this hour. We'll move on next hour after a short break, and we will handle day 61, which will take us through Numbers chapter 4 and 5. So that's what's on tap for this afternoon. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer and calling upon our Father once again to bless our time of study and to keep us awake, shall we pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you once again so thankful that uh, you continue to be faithful day by day, moment by moment. Great is thy faithfulness. Father, we call upon that faithfulness once again this hour. This is uh, the hardest class ever, the session after the potluck. Uh, but Father, we do pray, uh, even as we feasted on the, the wonderful barbecue, Father, we've had the earthly food now. Uh, we need more spiritual food, heavenly food, Father. So open our eyes, open our ears, and bless this time of study. We thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so uh, this chapter is titled Camp Organization and Consecration of the Levites. And um, a couple of things, too. I think I'm going to highlight... I'll save this for later. Let me get done with that for now. Last hour we're talking about these numbers and some of the systems there. If uh, if you want a copy of these, by the way, and you're using Logos software, so I set up a, uh, a notebook where these figures can be found, and then you can simply hover your mouse over the little icon there, and you'll see the notes. So if... Um, if you don't want to read the 46,500, if you want to actually read 45 Elufim chiefs and 15 Maoth battle units, then you can read that, uh, i.e. two battalions and eight plus seven companies. Those are the notes that you saw this morning. Below that, I went ahead and put in the numbers as they're going to be listed in chapter 26. So you can compare the first census with the second census and understand that uh, by the time we get to Numbers chapter 26, uh, Reuben is going to drop to 42 Elufim, but they're going to rise to 17.3 of the battle units of the Mayoth. And so they will then have two battalions of nine and uh, eight plus three companies. So anyway, those little notes are handy to have. And if you want these notebooks in your Logos software, then uh, I can walk you through it, or uh, I can just show you right now. You come up here to guides. No, you don't. You come up here to documents. There we go. You come up here to documents, and let me uh, clear this out because this is too easy. When you first open up documents, it's going to show you all of your documents, okay? However many you've created. Maybe you've created more than me, but that's, this is, these are the ones I've created. Then when you get past that, though, change it from yours to groups, and you'll have a much shorter list, depending on how many groups you're signed into. If Austin Bible Church is the only faith life group that you're a part of, then you're going to have a much shorter list than what I'm looking at right here. Um, because I've got, I'm in groups with uh, Robbie Dean Study Notes, uh, Dean Bible Ministry, Pastor Study Group, uh, the MP Seminars Online. Uh, so I'm just going to filter it here with Austin Bible Church. So this is what yours is going to look like if, if Austin Bible Church is the only group that you're signed up to, okay? And, and again, if you don't want to, uh, right now I've got the filter on for notebook, but these are all the documents that are available for you to add to your library, okay? And this would include visual filters, reading plans, notebooks, passage lists, prayer lists, canvas, 
and uh, and so forth. So just limiting it to the uh, notebook for now, you'll see the numbers muster figures. That's where these numbers muster figures is listed for you in the notebook. So if you select that, and then you, d- you decide to come up here and add it to your documents, then you will have this notebook available in your Logos installation. And so as long as the notebook is available, and so long as that notebook is selected, then you're going to start seeing these, uh, these little checkbox marks here where you can hover over and you can see the notes that are already in there. So if you find that useful, um, then uh, you're welcome to it. All right, moving on now to Numbers chapter 2. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, The sons of Israel shall camp, each by his own standard, with the banners of their father's households, and they shall camp around the tent of meeting at a distance. Okay? This is not a Boy Scout camp. This is not recreational camping. This is, uh, this is a military formation. All right? This is a bivouac, if you will, of, uh, of army battalions that are in camp uh, during, uh, in between their ordered marches. And so they are marching, or they shall they camp each by his own standard. We know what the standard is. It's the flag that's put up on the pole. It's the, when we say follow the colors, it's because the standard bearer is leading the way and you've got to follow through the, uh, in the order of march and in the battle formations as they are designed. And so they're camping in a military encampment procedure. They shall camp around the tent and meeting at a distance. And so the, the, the center of the camp is the tabernacle. And then the, the tribes themselves are at a distance. There's a gap. And in the middle there, in that no man's land between the tribes and the, and the tabernacle is where the Levites are going to be setting up their tents. And so they're going to camp in the center. And we'll show you that here shortly. Those who camp on the east side toward sunrise shall be the standard of the camp of Judah by their armies. And the leader of the sons of Judah, Nashon, the son of Amminadab. We uh, had that name given in the previous chapter. It gets repeated here. In his army, even their numbered men. You can go with the big numbers if you want, 74,600, or as we saw already, 72 Elohim chiefs with 26 Maoth battle units. So 76, 72 chiefs and 26 battle units. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar. And the leader of the sons of Issachar is Nethanel, the son of Zuar. And his army, even their numbered men, 52 chiefs and 24 battle units. Then comes the tribe of Zebulun and the leader of the sons of Zebulun, Eliab, the son of Helon. And his army, even his numbered men, 55 chiefs with 24 Maoth battle units. So that's the east camp. That's to the east of the tabernacle. Judah, Issachar, Zebulun. J-I-Z. Try to think of an acronym for J-I-Z like uh, Jezebel, Isabella, Zoller or something. And I just named Luke's next daughter. Okay, you have J-I-Z if that helps you to remember, Jezebel, Issachar, Zebulun. Not Jezebel, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun. All right. It's pretty bad when your memory device is worse than your memory. The total of the numbered men of the camp of Judah. Now, if you want to add up the big numbers, you can add up the big numbers or the reconstructed numbers, the total for the east camp. This is called the east side camp, the camp of Judah, which, by the way, is the camp that would set out first. Every time the, uh, the uh, banner went up for the order of march, Judah would break camp first, and they were the first ones to lead the way. Total of 179 chiefs with 74 battle units. Those battle units we can combine into nine battalions. And uh, they're all heavy com- uh, battalions. Two, two nine-company battalions and seven eight-company Battalions. So that's how they organize the, the 74 uh, companies into these, like I say, nine battalions. And those nine battalions, what do you get when you combine a bunch of battalions together? This is a brigade. This is the Judah Brigade. Okay. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reinforce extra army terms in this class and try to overcome the, uh, the, the, the Navy tendency that we have in this church. <laughs> All right, so we're not going to do flotillas or squadrons or anything naval. 
We're going to keep it with companies and battalions and brigades because these are infantry units. And, and they're called infantry units, by the way. Footmen. So chapter 2 takes the tribes of Israel, establishes their camp position in relationship to the tabernacle. These tribes are positioned on the four sides of the tabernacle. We're going to see starting with the east and the south and the west and the north. And the north goes last. These tribes are also positioned in the order of march when the camps set forth. And so we'll see this in, uh, in verse 9. They shall set out first. In verse 16, they shall set out second. In verse 24, they shall set out third. And guess what it says in verse 31? They shall set out last by their standards. Okay, by their standards, which means they have this, the, the order of sequence that they have to follow with respect to who has command and who has the support function in this order of march. These tribes, um, like I say, position in the order of march when the camp set forth. This will get restated again in chapter 10. When, uh, when they do march out, we're going to see that they're going to march out according to what they were told to do here in chapter 2. The east side of the tabernacle was the camp of Judah, supported by the camps of Issachar and Zebulun. And this is the order that it's stated in. So there is a camp of Judah, there is a camp of Issachar, there is a camp of, of Zebulun, but when they combine together for the march, it's called the camp of Judah. Okay? That Judah has the command of all three united tribes. And so, uh, like I say, when you're, when you're combining battalions, you're placing them in a, in a uh, division and that, or in a brigade. And that brigade is what has the command, depending on, on how it's structured and, and what it is that they're commanded to do. And all of this is coming from the Lord. This is coming from Lord Savayoth His name, right? We just sang that. And Lord Savayoth His name, it's the Hebrew for the Lord God of the armies. And He knows what He's doing when He puts these armies in this structure, in this format. And so, as we work our way through, I think we can appreciate the detail, we can appreciate the concern, and, uh, and we can see how this all comes together. This, by the way, still happens in the modern world and the different things. When we got to Saudi Arabia in 1990, I was a part of Operation Desert Shield that became Desert Storm in, uh, in Saudi Arabia in 1990, 1991, and there were three battalions of, uh, of MPs that had been sent over there, and uh, so we all land in theater, and wouldn't you know it, thank, thanks the Lord, that those three colonels all got together and figured it out between themselves that our colonel was the one who had seniority over the other two colonels. So it worked out that our MPs um, had, had, uh, had a good spot compared to what the other two... So in other words, because there were three different MP uh, brigades or battalions that were over there, then they just took the senior one and said, you are now the provost marshal for the entire theater. And he became the, the top MP for the, for the whole theater of operations because he outranked the other two from the other two companies. That's what it just simply came down to. And it worked out great. And then we had some other fringe benefits too along the way because, you know, back in his younger days when he was just a, a, a company commander or, or a, yeah, no, when he was a, a battalion commander, he was the commander of, of our company, of the 720th uh, MP battalion. And when he was a captain in his even younger days as a captain, he was a company commander over the 411th MP company, so, which was our MP company. So we, had, uh, we, were, the, we were in a good spot as far as being the, the, the commander's favorite company and his favorite battalion and his favorite brigade in, uh, in the entire theater of uh, Saudi Arabia, Iraq and Kuwait and everything else. Don't get me lost on those war stories. We've got to continue. All right, we're going to cover chapters 2 and 3 today. So the, um, the east side of the tabernacle was the camp of Judah, supported by the camps of Issachar and Zebulun. Judah Brigade marched first with 179 officers, 74 companies, 9 battalions. That's the total of Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The south side of the tabernacle was the camp of Reuben, supported by the camps of Simeon and Gad. And we read about this in verses 10 through 16. On the south side shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben by their armies, and the leader of the sons of Reuben, Eliezer, the son of Shadur, and his army, even their numbered men. Take the traditional numbers if you want 
46,500, or I think preferable, 45 chiefs and 15 battle units. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon, and the leaders of the son of Simeon, Shalomiel, the son of Zerushadai, and his army, even their numbered men, 57 Elohim and 23 Maoth battle units. If you missed last hour, I'd encourage you to get the MP3 or watch the YouTube video and you'll get a better understanding of what these uh, Elohim are and what the Maoth are. That uh, rather than taking them numerically, we're taking them descriptively, applying to the commanders and the units that they command. Then comes the tribe of Gad, and the leader of the sons of Gad is Elisaph, the son of Duel, and his army, even their mustered men, 44 chiefs, 16 and a half battle units. So altogether, the numbered men of the camp of Reuben, the south side camp, the camp of Reuben, who set out second, 146 officers, 54 and a half battle units. In other words, seven battalions with the companies that are listed there. So that's the south side. Reuben Brigade, March 2nd, with 146 officers, 54 and a half companies, and seven battalions. So that's who's leading the march. The Judah Brigade went first, the Reuben Brigade goes second. And if you can remember, Judah is the line that God prophesied the Christ was going to come through. Judah is the line that has the sovereignty of all the tribes. Judah has the sovereignty as the ruling tribe. And the promise is the scepter will not depart from Judah till Shiloh comes, the one to whom it belongs. So Judah leads the way. Now Reuben is the firstborn son. He lost his firstborn status and his inheritance because of his own sin. But the tribe, nevertheless, even though they're no longer the firstborn tribe, Reuben does have a a second privilege of of blessing in that it's the Reuben brigade that's going to follow the Judah brigade in this order of march. So uh, on, on point is going to be spearheading the, the march is going to be Judah, but then following second is going to be Reuben. And that's a, that's a good place of honor. And that's following the point. And it's also the one that's right in front of the tabernacle because the tent sets out third. The tabernacle and the Levites set out in the midst of the camps, we're told. So verse 17 here of Numbers chapter 2, then the tent of meeting shall set out with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camps. Just as they camp, so they shall set out every man in his place by their standards. So east camp deploys, south camp deploys, then the tabernacle. The Levites and the tabernacle are going third. We still have two camps to go. They're going to be following behind and the rear guard. All right. There'll be more elaboration on this that comes up in chapter 10. Uh, In fact, we're going to see a breakdown between the clans of Levi. Levi's a tribe. There are three clans for Levi that that will be stipulated, but that detail uh, we don't get to until we get into chapter 10. Next, we have the west side. The west side. I like west side. I don't know why. I grew up on the west coast. Maybe that's it. On the west side shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim by their armies. Ephraim, you might remember, was the son of blessing, that uh, when, when Joseph was given the double portion blessing, that Ephraim and Manasseh were promoted to full tribal status. And Ephraim is going to have the leadership between Ephraim and Manasseh um, because uh, Jacob finally learned the principles of grace and the sovereignty of God. He crossed his hands as he was blessing the sons and even though uh, uh, Jacob, uh, even though Joseph tried to get him to to stop crossing his hands like that, Jacob knew what he was doing and was definitely exalting the uh, the younger. So we have Ephraim who's promoted. By the way, Ephraim, when later on, years from from this event, in the later years after the death of Solomon, when the kingdom itself is split, and ten tribes go to the north, it's only Judah and Benjamin in the south. Those ten tribes in the north very frequently are referred to as Ephraim, okay? Either the northern kingdom of Israel or just simply Ephraim. He has the the dominance of the ten northern tribes. In this case, he uh, has the honor of marching third and he's right behind the tabernacle. And uh, this is the smallest of the contingents. So on the west side is the standard of the camp of Ephraim by their armies, and the leader of the sons of Ephraim shall be Elishama, the son of Amahud. His army, even their numbered men, 
only 39 of the chiefs and 15 of the May oaths. It's going to get boosted uh, before the end, before uh, we get to chapter 26. He'll be up to 51 chiefs and 17 May oath, but that's, we'll save that for chapter 26. Right now, uh, that tribe is still fairly small. And then next to him is the tribe of Manasseh. So uh, the twin tribe to Ephraim is the tribe of Manasseh. And uh, serving as a support function, Gamaliel, the son of Pedazer, different Gamaliel than the one you're used to in the New Testament. Okay, That Gamaliel, when Paul sat, said he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, it was not this guy. Okay, That's centuries apart, about 1,500 year difference between these. The Manasseh army is the smallest, 31 chiefs, only 12 may oath, only 12 battle units. So the smallest contingent of all the tribes is Manasseh with 12 battle units, um, basically splitting them up into two battalions of six companies each. By the way, the overall estimate that Wenham came up with, uh, he was estimating about 75 men per may oath. And uh, plus he was adding the, the chiefs on top of that, the officers on top of that. Essentially, in Wenham's estimate, the Exodus figures uh, come to about 18,000 uh, fighting men. 18,000 fighting men. And then uh, double that for the women, double it again for the children and old people. And he, his estimate was 72,000 that walked through the Red Sea uh, as the Jewish population at the Exodus. Uh, as opposed to three million uh, of the traditional estimates based on these Masoretic numbers. All right. So with Ephraim and Manasseh comes Benjamin, the the second support battalion that uh, supports Ephraim. And uh, this is Benjamin. The leader of the sons of Benjamin is Abidan, the son of Gideoni. His army, even their numbered men, uh, 34 Elohim, 14. uh, So 34 chiefs, 14 battle units, that's two uh, battalions with seven and seven companies each. The total numbered men of the camp of Ephraim then, add them all up, the west side camp, the camp of Ephraim, the camp that sets out third, has a total of 104 officers uh, and 41 combat companies, 41 battle units, um, six battalions and the, the numbers that are listed there, including the small ones, including the short battalions of Manasseh that are only six and six in their, uh, in their companies. Finally then, the north side, the standard of the camp of Dan. Does that shock you that Dan has preeminence? It is curious. Dan is a very large tribe, and Dan has fewer officers but more companies than even Judah has as far as fielding the largest number of troops. And um, Dan, we know eschatologically, is the problem tribe. Dan is the one that's called a serpent in the in the way. Dan is the one that evidently uh, decides to support Antichrist in the coming tribulation. Dan is the tribe that does not get 12,000 evangelists uh, sealed and protected during the tribulation. Okay, So Dan is not removed as a tribe, but Dan is not protected with the 144,000 Jewish evangelists in uh, in our prophecy studies. Anyway, Historically now, the tribe of Dan was, uh, was quite large. And uh, so Dan has leadership of the, of the fourth uh, brigade. It is the Dan Brigade. North side of the tabernacle was the camp of Dan, supported by Asher and Naphtali. Dan Brigade mar- uh, marched last with 151 officers, 66 companies, 8 battalions. And we have that listed here. So there's Dan's numbered armies. Again, we dealt with that last hour. 60 chiefs, 27 companies. That's one more than Judah had. Judah only had 26. So 27 companies arranged into three battalions of nine companies each. And then supported by Asher. This was the happy army. Asher means happy. 40 chiefs, 15 companies i.e. two battalions with eight and seven. And then Naphtali, 51 chiefs, 24 companies, three battalions of eight, eight, and eight. Total men of the camp of Dan then, 151 chiefs, 66 companies, eight battalions. So the rear guard, in case they get attacked from behind, in case someone attempts to ambush them from behind, you got a heavy, heavy brigade at the back that's ready to... uh, to deal with that. That's what Dan 
has the privilege of doing there. So these are the numbered men of the sons of Israel by their father's households, the total of their numbered men of the camps by their armies. Again, if you do prefer the humongous numbers of the Masoretic text tradition, then you can accept it as 603,550 men, which doesn't fit with other passages of Scripture. That's why we make the adjustments that we make. So the total combined armed forces, 580 officers, 235 and a half companies organized into 30 battalions. Uh, J.W. Wenham has his, ex, uh, his estimate here. A total fighting force of a little over 18,000. Overall migration population, approximately 72,000. So that's, that's why these numbers w- are so widely divergent in, uh, in this way. The Levites, however, were not numbered among the sons of Israel as the Lord had commanded Moses. They were not uh, the warriors, they were the priests. They were designed to supervise over the religious life of the nation of Israel. So thus the sons of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they camped by their standards, so they set out everyone by his family according to his father's household. All right, and so, let's see if I can make this larger. I created a little diagram there. And it may seem corny, but I worked hours on this. So there you go. Now this actually combines some details we haven't seen yet because the circles for Moses and the priests and uh, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, those are the clans. We don't learn about those and their placement until later. But still, for now, at least you can put them there on the on the chart. Of course, the tabernacle has the courtyard, the outer courtyard, the inner tent. You have the altar, you have the laver, you have the tent itself. And uh, drawn to scale with meticulous, uh, I don't know actually, probably not. Uh, but at least the, the furniture items are in the right order. And then you have Judah to the east leading the brigade. The Judah battalions, two battalions of Judah leading the brigade or three battalions of Judah leading the brigade, then Issachar and Zebulun in support. Likewise, Reuben on the south with Simeon and Gad in support. Ephraim in the west, Manasseh and Benjamin in support, then Dan in the north with Asher and Naphtali in support. Why is north going last? What's up with north? You know, why is north going last? And, and if the last is first, why is north going last? And what's up with the north... Why is it when Satan was lusting after a seat, he wanted to take a seat on the Mount of the Assembly in the recesses of the north? There is something about the north that we need to do more work with in our angelic studies. Not today. All right, so we have the camp. We have the order of march. We have the, uh, the structure of their armed forces. 18,000 men. And now they have structure, now they have organization, which gets us to chapter 3. Chapter 3 highlights the tribe of Levi and the organization of the Levitical clans. All right. So part of what you just saw in that diagram is going to get detailed here with the clans. Now I don't know about you, but I'm happy to be living in the 21st century in a lot of ways, it's convenient and it's helpful. But I also wonder if in a lot of ways, are we, have we lost something? Have we lost something because we're not tribal? We're not clan-based? We're not, that our families are not um, as interdependent as they used to be, as, as in biblical times they needed to be. In the sense that, um, so when, when, um, when I married Sharon, for example, I didn't have to get my clan approval. I didn't need my tribal chief or my clan chief to sign off on it. To uh, and and thankfully, the uh, you know you can imagine the the Texas Schneiders might have looked with some suspicion at this uh, this Washingtonian um, whatever this rascal coming from wherever, and and maybe that clan would not have been at all supportive of of a non-Texan, of, a, of an outsider in, uh, in those things there. So a lot of what we deal with um, from our family situations, marital decisions, um, uh, business dealings, where you live, all, all these things in a tribal culture uh, are, are so paramount. 
And basically today, here anymore, they're, they're irrelevant, right? I can live in Texas, I can live in Washington, I can live in, you know, wherever, I can move, I can marry, you know. Um, and we also don't plunge into the problem with most tribal cultures is that tribes beget um, grudges and warfare. And if, if there's an offense against a tribe, they can hold that for generations as, as they have all this hostility against their... Uh, and sometimes they don't even remember why. They just know that they hate that tribe, so they're going to go to war against them. In, uh, and much of the world is still tribal in, uh, in a lot of places. So we need to uh, be thinking tribally as we work our way through these chapters. These are the records of the generations of Aaron and Moses at the time when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. These then are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab, the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. When they were at Sinai getting ready to organize, Aaron had four sons. Okay, Didn't last long, and now he's got two sons because of what happened to Nadab and Abihu. But originally four sons could have been, ultimately could have been, four clans for the, for the Aaronic priesthood. And instead we have two clans for the Aaronic priesthood. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priest, whom he ordained to serve as priest. But Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests in the lifetime of their father Aaron. I've always wanted to know how come they didn't have to raise up a, a child to the, to the name of Nadab and Abihu. Why didn't they have to follow the, the leveret marriage procedures and keep those names alive? It's because God had cut those names off. This is what it means to be cut off from the names of the sons of Israel. So they died childless. God says they're going to stay childless. That those lines are cut off. So the descent of Aaron goes only through Eleazar and Ithamar. So we have the organization of the Levitical clans. The Aaronic priesthood will be comprised of two instead of four divisions, the Eleazar and the Ithamar division. Fast forward about 400 years, and when David starts to give an organizational structure to this, he ends up taking these two divisions and structuring them into 24 subdivisions. And so they end up with uh, Eleazar has 16 and and Ithamar has 8. And uh, so, you know, it's roughly double the size. The bigger one is double the size of the smaller one with 16 and 8. But together they make up the 24 divisions of these two branches of Aaronic priests. And those same divisions, by the way, that David sets up in his lifetime, they still continue all the way down to the life of Christ. So when Zechariah is in the temple ministering according to his division, that's uh, that's what we're looking at there when we're seeing these things come together. So the tribe of Levi is set apart for the support service to the Aaronic priesthood. It's not exactly fair, but I do it all the time. You know, I think of the Levites like the Old Testament deacons. Okay, And it's not fair to do that, but uh, what else can I do? I'm going to draw an analogy with how we have things set up today. How do we have things set up today? We have pastors and deacons. All right, So that's kind of how we have things set up today. And um, so you don't want your Levites going in and trying to take over everything the priests are doing. Uh, but you want to have Levites, you need to have Levites. They've got to carry the tabernacle, they've got to break down the furniture, they've got to, they've got to do all the administrative stuff. Likewise with the pastor and the deacons in the church age, I think we can see an analogy, something in an analogous way. So the tribe of Levi is set apart. Remember Aaron himself was from Levi. Aaron was a Levite. And so when he is kind of set apart, he's taken out of his tribe in a way. He's taken out of his tribe in order to not be counted as a Levite anymore. He's, kinda, he's counted as a priest, as, a, uh, uh, as, as the high priest of, of the nation. That's what Aaron was called out to be. Otherwise, he'd be a Levite like all the rest of them. So let's look at verses 5 through 10. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest that they may serve him. And they shall perform the duties for him and for the whole congregation before the tent of meeting to do the service of the tabernacle. They shall also keep all the furnishings of the tent of meeting along with the duties of the sons of Israel to do the service of the tabernacle. 
Ye shall thus give the Levites to Aaron and to his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the sons of Israel. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons that they may keep their priesthood. But the layman, that is the outsider, who comes near shall be put to death, or the stranger. Yeah, the word for layman is the word for stranger. All right, so again, we're talking about proximity. Keep in mind, in the New Testament, we're very spoiled. In the New Testament, we're all saved by grace through faith. We all have a spiritual gift. We all have standing before God the Father. We all are baptized in the union with Jesus Christ. And I am no more closer to the Lord than anybody else in this church. We all have equal access as believer, as church age believer priests. We all enter within the veil. We all stand before the glory of God. We all come to that throne of grace. What a privilege, okay? But put that out of your mind for the moment and think back to, to this, to the Old Testament, to the covenant nation of Israel. It's all about proximity. And Aaron would be the closest because he gets to go into the Holy of Holies one day a year. But then the other priests are not quite as close. They get to go into the tabernacle. They get to go into the tent. They get to go into the, the holy place, not the holy of holies, but the holy place. And then the Levites would be next, all right? And then the non-Levites, your basic Jewish citizens would then be, would be, would then be next. And if you think, well, they don't have very much access. Well, they've got a priesthood that can represent them. They've got a priesthood that has more access than they do. And They've certainly got more access than the Midianites or the Egyptians or the Canaanites or the Romans or anybody else. This is the covenant nation of Israel. And they, they can come to the entrance of the doorway of the tent of meeting and they can bring a sacrifice and they, they ha- can have a priesthood to represent them before the, the presence of the Lord. No other nation on earth could claim that ever at any time in human history. Only the nation of Israel. So the layman, the stranger who comes near shall surely be put to death. All right, then we have verses 11 and following. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Now behold, I have taken the Levites from among the sons of Israel instead of every firstborn, the first issue of the womb among the sons of Israel, so the Levites shall be mine. Originally, when they first were brought out of the Exodus, the original design was for the firstborn, the firstborn male that opens every womb. That firstborn son would belong to the Lord. And then Israel rejected that as a, as a priesthood. They, they didn't want to be a nation of priests. They, instead, they wanted Moses to be a mediator. And you go up on the mountain and you tell us what God says. And so based on that rebellion, the uh, nation of Israel received a priesthood instead of being a priesthood. And you can think about how God works through all these things. Moses had a similar uh, consequence because he was trying to weasel out of his duties as the, as the Redeemer. And uh, so he ends up getting Moses as a partner, I mean getting his brother Aaron as a partner, and then lo and behold, what does Moses miss out on? He doesn't get to be the high priest. He's simply the mediator and Aaron gets to become the high priest. And so we see how God has a design in his directive will and then God has a realization in his permissive will when God responds to our poor volitional choices and says, all right, this is what you want, here you go. And then in permissive will, Aaron becomes the high priest. And we have an Aaronic priesthood instead of a Mosaic priesthood. Makes me wonder sometimes about all the what ifs if some of these folks had been more obedient than, than they were. All right, so the tribe of Levi is taken by the Lord in lieu of the firstborn that were to be dedicated to his service. And if you want to go back and look at Exodus 13, you'll see all those. These were the, uh, the setting apart of the firstborn. Sanctify to me every firstborn, okay? Which included people and animals and, and everything else. But in lieu of the people then, God says, all right, instead of the firstborn, I'm going to take the tribe of Levi. They can be the... Uh, the priest that mediates between you and God. Anyway, how sad is that? I would think that that's not eternally going to be the case because we know in the millennium they will be a nation of priests. In the millennium they will have spiritual functions uh, that they will minister to the Gentile nations. But at least for now, they are not a nation of priests. They are a nation that has a priesthood. All right. The tribe of Levi is divided into the clans of Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Hope you're paying attention. There's going to be a quiz on this in about 15 more minutes. Okay? 
No, actually, there is already a quiz for this, but that's only for those of you that have signed up for the Grace Notes version of Through the Bible. So that's many of you uh, are doing both. You're here in class getting the material here, and then you're also subscribed to the Grace Notes class, in which case uh, you have the quizzes to submit that, uh, that Warren has written up for you. So, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Number the sons of Levi by their fathers' households, by their families. Every male from a month old and upward you shall number. Now, this is not a battlefield muster. You don't put one-month-old baby boys on the battlefield, okay? This is a priestly enrollment. This is a priestly enrollment. So Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord, just as he had been commanded. And the sons of Levi by their names, Gershon and Kohath and Merari. Those were the three literal sons, the three boys of Levi, and those boys became the tribal, uh, the clan head. So the tribe of Levi has three divisions called clans, and any Levite who, in the Old Testament now, not today, but any Levite in Old Testament times would know for a fact what clan he would be in. Because he would be so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi. He would know his clan and his tribe. Every Levite would. So, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. These are the names of the sons of Gershon by their families. Libni and Shimei. So, within the clan of, of uh, Gershon, we now have two family divisions. The Libni family division, and the Shimei family division. Then the sons of Kohath by their families, Amram and Izhar, Hebron and Uziel. All right, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. So the Gershon clan only has two family divisions, but the Kohath clan has four family divisions. And which one does the priest come through? Do you remember? The son of Amram. Moses was the son of Amram and Jochebed. Okay, so that's the Amram clan, uh, family of the Kohath clan of the Levi tribe. Keeping these things straight? All right. And, and, and it won't take long, by the way, and there's going to be grumbling among the Levites and among the other family clans and the other families that say, hey, why does Amram get all the, all the perks? What's wrong with Izhar? What's wrong with our family branch? So we'll see some of those rebellions as they happen as well. All right, the sons of Merari. Here's the third Levite clan. The sons of Merari by their families, Molly and Mushi. These are the, yeah, I know, Molly and Mushi. These are the families of the Levites according to their father's household. So um, he had one clan with two, one clan with four, one clan with two, if you're keeping score. That's, uh, that's eight family branches out of the three clans of the one tribe of Levi. So that gets us down through verse 20. Of Gershon was the family of the Libnites and the family of the Shimates. These were the families of the Gershonites. They're numbered men. So now we're going to start to get the actual numbers. Their numbered men, in the numbering of every male from a month old and upward, even their numbered men were 7,500. All right, now, someone might ask, are we going to do the same number thingy here that we did in chapter 1? Do we have reason to take these in any other way besides numerically? Is there anything in the context which would cause us to view these numbers as something other than numbers? Or does it appear that these things are numbers? They're, they're, they're designed to be numbers. We don't have the same issues here that we had in chapter 1 dealing with the armies, dealing with the muster. We're not talking about fighting men. We're not talking about age 20 and up. We're not talking about being structured into battalions and companies. We're just talking about families of priests, families of Levites, and the service that they're offering to Aaron and his sons. And so there's really no reason to take this other than numerically as 7,500 numbered men. The families of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle westward. And the leader of the father's households of the Gershonites was Eliasaph, the son of Lyel. And so in the diagram I showed you earlier, 
There you go. You got Gershon there in the west. In between the tabernacle and Ephraim, the Ephraim brigade that we saw earlier. So this is the clan of Gershon, divided into two families of Libni and Shimei. Their number from a month old and upward was 7,500. The families of Libni and Shimei camped to the west of the tabernacle. Their duties included, we haven't read this yet, verses 25 and 26. What are they responsible for? The duties of the sons of Gershon in the tent of meeting involved the tabernacle and the tent, its covering, and the screen for the doorway of the tent of meeting, and the hangings of the court, and the screen for the doorway of the court, which is around the tabernacle, and the altar and its cords, according to all the service concerning them. All right, so these are the duties that have been assigned to Gershon, to this clan of Levites, and this is what they're responsible for. Not only carrying it from place to place, but setting it up, tearing it down, and maintaining each of these items. I imagine there's maintenance to be done if, if uh, you know, a tent cord breaks or something else happens. They, uh, you got to be doing the maintenance on this equipment. That's why they have carts. Remember, two of these clans were provided with carts in order to lug their luggage, in order to yeah, bag their baggage, lug their luggage, tote their uh, totes. So that's the clan of Gershon. The clan of Kohath divided into four families, although the Amram family is going to be slightly impacted by virtue of the fact that Moses and Aaron and, and uh, Miriam are the children of Amram. But we see here... Um, Kohath was divided into the four families of Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. Their number was 8,600. So if Kohath was the family of the Amramites and the family of the Izharites and the family of the Hebronites and the family of the Uzielites, these were the families of the Kohathites. Okay, and does that make your head spin? Also, Hebron. Does Hebron jump out at you any? Hebron's a significant Old Testament town that uh, was allotted to the line of Judah, that was uh, populated by giants, that was conquered by Caleb. And um, the city of Hebron has nothing at all to do with this Levitical dude that we're seeing here. He just uh, happens to be coincidentally named the same. All right. So yeah, don't confuse your Hebron with your Hebron. Because they are different. The numbering of every male from a month old and upward was 8,600, performing the duties of the sanctuary. The families of the sons of Kohath were to camp on the southward side of the tabernacle. The leader of the father's household of the Kohathite families was Elizaphan, the son of Uziel. And their duties involved the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary with which they minister, and the screen and all the service concerning them. Okay. Now keep in mind, this is the clan from which Aaron and the priests come from. And so this is the clan that's the closest to the priesthood. This is the clan that's entrusted with carrying the Ark of the Covenant, carrying these holy furnishings. They don't get a cart. They don't get carts to help lug their luggage. They have to carry these with poles. They have to carry these, uh, you know, the hard way. So Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, was the chief of the leaders of Levi. So the really the heir apparent the uh, the firstborn son, the one that's scheduled to be the next high priest when this high priest dies, that uh, that heir apparent, Eliezer, gets to be the the clan chief for this particular branch of the Amramites, of the Kohathites, actually, the clan Kohan. Chief of the leaders of Levi. He had oversight over those who performed the duties of the sanctuary. So this is point B in the outline, clan Kohath divided into these four families. Their number, their camp, they were camped on the south side. So they're next to Reuben and uh, Simeon and who was with Reuben and Simeon? Reuben and Simeon and Gad. Starts with a G. Okay? Again, you gotta, you gotta get your acronym, you gotta get your memory devices out. How do you learn RSG? Okay? Just learn Find something that clicks, even if it's stupid. If you remember it, it does what it's supposed to do. All right. RSG, RSG. Robert and Sharon. Godinez. That's RSG. That doesn't make any sense. Okay. (laughs) 
So their duties include the ark, the table of showbread, the lampstand, the altars, and utensils. Next, the clan of Merari, divided into two families, Mali and Mushi. Mushi. What was he in charge of? The mush. All right. The Malites and the Mushites. These were the families of Merari. They're numbered men, and the numbering of every male from a month old and upward were 6,200. The leaders of the father's household of the family of Merari was Zuriel, the son of Abahel. They were to camp on the northward side of the tabernacle. That would be near Dan and Asher and Naphtali. You know how you can remember that? Because Dan is spelled D-A-N. And Dan has Asher and Naphtali as his support battalions. And what are their appointed duties? They're on the north side. Uh, their duties involve the frames of the tabernacle, bars, pillars, sockets, all its equipment and the service concerning them. And the pillars around the court with their sockets and their pegs and their cords. That's why they need wagons. They get carts to, to help lug the luggage. So that's the duties of Clan Merari on the north side. Duties include frames, bars, pillars, sockets, pegs, and cords. I mean, it seems like the work is divided up pretty well, right? I mean, it seems like everything's organized. seems like there's a plan. Somebody knows what he's doing. I think it's God who, who put these things in, in place. And uh, if everybody does what they're supposed to do, seems like everything's going to move pretty smoothly. Everything's just going to fall in place and the, the cloud can rise up. Everybody start getting busy doing what they should be doing and out they go until the grumbling starts. And then some of these branches decide, you know what? I don't want to do tent pegs and bars and bases. I want to do, I want to be a priest. You know, you start getting rebellion amongst the Levites. Doesn't take long. Uh, the east side of the tabernacle was reserved for Moses, Aaron, and Aaron's sons. We have that described for us here in verse 38. Those who were to camp before the tabernacle eastward, in other words, they had the shortest walk from where they were camping to walk inside the tent. Uh, was Moses, Aaron, and his sons. Before the meeting, uh, toward the sunrise, performing the duties of the sanctuary for the obligation of the sons of Israel, but the stranger coming near was to be put to death. If you don't belong there, you don't belong there. So all the numbered men of the Levites who Moses and Aaron numbered in the command of the Lord by their families, every male from a month old and upward was 22,000. All right. Now, again, we ask ourselves, are we clear about these numbers? How are we handling these numbers? The enumeration of Levi was extraordinarily small compared to the humongous traditional numbers of the other tribes. The other tribes were enumerated from 20 years age and upward and averaged 54,900, with Benjamin being the smallest tribe at 35,4 and Manasseh the half-tribe at 32,2. So the idea of Levi being 22-2 just seems incredibly small compared to those humongous numbers of the other tribes. And so this is another consideration where we stop and say, well, wait a minute, maybe those humongous numbers are something else. Maybe those humongous numbers are not correct. That instead of humongous numbers, we need to be tracking captains and their military units. Also, where those armies were enumerated from age 20 and upward, Levi is enumerated from one month of age and upward. A one-month-old child had duties within the tribe of Levi. And what kind of duties do we have? You know, what kind of duty is a one-month-old doing? Okay, let me talk to my nursery deacon. We'll find out about the duties of a month-year-old child. But from his youth, from his childhood, these Levites are learning their procedures. They're learning their Levitical doctrine. They're learning the the doctrine that's communicated here in the book of Leviticus. They have to be the Bible teachers for their nation, which means from one month and upward, they're in either seminary or they're, you know, or they're in seminary. Okay. Which I find amusing. If, uh, if you ever want to know, I mean, the basis for the, you know what seminary even means? A seminary is a nursery. A seminary is, it comes from semen. It comes from seed bed. Okay? And so a seminary is a seed bed. It is a place, is like a, a plant nursery where, you know, your, your, your baby pastors are, are cultivated and, and, and harvested. 
Anyway, I just find that amusing when we go from the nursery to the Sunday school to the auditorium, then back to the nursery again if we go to seminary. And all right, let's go back to the nursery again. Deal with that. The redemption of 22,000 firstborn of Israel. Again, if we have um, 22,000 Levites, and then there's the issue of the redemption. Lord said to Moses, number every firstborn male of the sons of Israel from a month old and upward, make a list of their names. So you shall take the Levites for me. I am the Lord. Instead of all the firstborn among the sons of Israel and the cattle of the Levites, instead of all the firstborn among the cattle of the sons of Israel. So Moses numbered the firstborn among the sons of Israel as the Lord had commanded, and all the firstborn males by the number of the names from a month old and upward for their numbered men was 22,273. And so that's very close. That's darn close to the 22,000 that we have for the Levites. And so God says, okay, that's equivalent. I'll take that instead. And you can have a cash payment for the difference. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, here it is. These Levites are mine. For the extra 273 of the firstborn of the sons of Israel who are in excess beyond the Levites, take five shekels apiece per head Take them in terms of the shekel of the sanctuary and give the money, the ransom of those who are in excess among them to Aaron and his sons. So Moses took the ransom money from those who were in excess beyond those ransomed by the Levites. And from the firstborn of the sons of Israel, he took the money in terms of the shekel of the sanctuary and cashes out with 1,365. Five shekels apiece for 273 of them. So Moses gave the ransom money to Aaron and to his sons at the command of the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So now they've got some operating capital. They got a little bit of cash. This is part of what the Levites are going to use for their operations and what they're doing. But also it helps us to, again, point back to those numbers we were looking at in chapter 1. This uh, redemption of 22,273 firstborn of Israel either indicates a much smaller population than the humongous traditional number and, and which is what I concluded, that's how we taught it in chapter 1, that you can't have 22,000 firstborn and 600,000 soldiers unless every mom's having 50 babies. And uh, I, I can't imagine any mom having 50 babies, much less all of the moms having 50 babies. I mean, if you think about it, Jacob ended up with 12 kids, but he had four women uh, you know, producing those 12 kids. So the idea that Every Jewish woman in the country is having 50 on average is just insane. That's just not, not workable. So, um, so this number is interesting. It is important. It helps us to compare Scripture to Scripture and find a text-based reason, not an archaeology-based reason, not a logical reason, not a, not a philosophical reason, not just a, an objection saying, well, you have small faith. You don't think God can provide for 3 million people. Nothing to do with that. It's just reconciling that there are a small number of firstborn compared to a humongous number of soldiers. Maybe that humongous number is not correct. Maybe there's a better understanding of that humongous number. And that's what we presented last hour with the chiefs and the battle units that they were, uh, were mustering for service. Alternatively, if you really want to have those larger numbers, uh, there are people who think, and, and their defense is, that this is not every firstborn, this is only the firstborn that were born this year, that were born since they left Egypt. These are the babies that were born after the Exodus. So they were born on this side of the Red Sea during the last 12 months that they've been at, camping at Sinai and making babies and doing what they're doing. So, okay, that's a theory. That's a theory. And, and I suppose if you have 3 million people in your population that having 22,000 babies in a year is, I guess that's not a lot. I'm not so sure. All right. Well, that gets us through chapters 2 and 3. We're going to take a break and then we'll come back uh, for day 61 and that will take us through chapters 4 and 5. I think I can close in prayer here. Was there... Something else I was going to highlight with Logos. I thought maybe I might, but I don't remember. All right, we'll let it go. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. And again, Father, we thank you that we have so much more to learn. And uh, it's a joy to know that we can't learn it all today. 
But what we do learn, Father, we piece together with little bits here and little bits there, here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. I thank you, Father, that every day you delay in calling us home is just one more day to, uh, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, it's one more day to prepare to stand before you for all eternity. Eternity is so forever, and our time to prepare for it is so short. I thank you, Father, that we can take these occasions to prepare all the more. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.